Welcome back to the week 15 NFL recap, and it was a very exciting week of football. I mean, we had the largest comeback in NFL history happen on Saturday between the Colts and the Vikings. Sunday Night Football gave us a matchup that determined one team that's probably going to go to the playoffs and one team that's probably not going to go to the playoffs. Of course, some bad officiating throughout the games this weekend. We'll go over that. And possibly the dumbest play in sports history. We'll talk about that as well. Hopefully you guys enjoy and let's get into it. Thursday night gave us the 49ers versus the Seahawks. And Seattle, of course, they're in a... Close to a must-win situation in this one. But Seattle, they have now dropped four out of five games. They got off to an awesome start. They were 6-3 and three after that win versus the Cardinals in Week 9. But ever since then, they lost to Tampa, a loss to the Raiders. They did beat the Rams, but then lost to Carolina, which was a killer, and then lost on Thursday versus the 49ers. So once again, we see another Brock Purdy game. And he wasn't that great. He definitely had a couple throws that should have been intercepted. One was right in the defender's chest and it was dropped. But his stat line didn't look that bad. He had two touchdown passes to George Kittle. Kittle on one of those plays basically just manhandled people, threw him in the ground, and it was a typical George Kittle touchdown. The biggest takeaway, though, was the Niners' defense. They look legit, and they're probably the best defense in football right now. Nick Bosa, those guys got after it. Geno Smith was pressured the entire day. And the 49ers, I mean, they're going to make the playoffs, and they could get Garoppolo back, and they are very much alive to make a Super Bowl run. I mean, I don't know if Brock Purdy can do that, but you know when Garoppolo gets back, if he does get back, that team can make a Super Bowl run. And for the Seahawks, you now have a stretch here of the last three games of at KC, home versus the Jets and home versus the Rams, you probably have to win two of those games. Of course, at case, he's going to be tough, but maybe they win the last two weeks versus the Jets and the Rams. The Seahawks, though, are definitely on thin ice for their playoff hopes in 2022. So here we go. Saturday games, we're going to talk about the biggest comeback in NFL history, the Colts at the Vikings. So of course, this was kind of a trap game if you were going to bet on the Vikings. I think the Colts had a decent chance to win because, you know, the Vikings' pass defense is god-awful. And you figure Matt Ryan could have a good game here. And he kind of did. He didn't have the best stats, but Matt Ryan played okay. But here's the crazy part. So the Colts jump out to a 33 to nothing lead. And there was a special teams touchdown in there, a blocked punt that was returned. There was a Julian Blackman pick six right before halftime where they put them up 30 to nothing. So you're thinking at that point, this ball game is over, and then they got a field goal later, putting them up 33 in the third quarter. So you're thinking there's no chance in hell that Matt Ryan, who of course is known for blowing the 28 to 3 lead in the Super Bowl, there is no chance in hell Matt Ryan and the Colts are blowing this 33 to nothing lead. And the crazy part is, even though they did blow that lead, the refs actually helped them out very much in the fourth quarter. There was a play where it was, I think, Deion Jackson, I'm pretty sure, fumbled the Colts running back. The Vikings picked it up, returned it for six, clearly, right? But for some reason, the refs blew it dead. So they took away six points off the board. It didn't matter because the Vikings scored anyway. But still, I mean, like to take that touchdown off the board and still have to make them go about 50 yards to get their own touchdown offensively, just an embarrassing game here if you're the Colts. And when Minnesota went down 33-0, you had people saying, oh, they're frauds, they suck, this team's not even serious, blah, 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 unserious team. And like, yeah, they might be right. I don't think the Vikings are actually Super Bowl contenders, but they did shut a lot of people up here. They were down 33-0 with 8.26 to go in the third. They found KJ Osborne for a touchdown. And... 
the game never fell over. Even though Kirk Cousins threw a pick in the, I think, early fourth quarter on a deep try or a deep ball to um, to Jalen Rager, who kind of stopped running his route for some reason. I mean, the Colts had that interception. They had the, the fumble return for a touchdown that was taken off the board. So much went the Colts' way, and they still lost the game. It just makes no sense, but... I don't know. I guess if you're the Colts, it's good for you. You're tanking at this point. But if you're Minnesota, you get your 11th win, only three losses this year. And I do believe they have the NFC North uh, locked up. So congrats to the Vikings. The middle of the day Saturday game was the Ravens at the Browns. Pretty underwhelming matchup. Very boring game. Only 16 total points. The Ravens lose 13-3. to So Cleveland, they have their first home game with Deshaun Watson. He's 1-0 in Cleveland, so congrats Deshaun Watson. And I think Watson's looking a bit better. His stats weren't impressive. He was 18 of 28, 161 through the air, one touchdown, was sacked three times. But... For Baltimore, it is a bit concerning. You need Lamar Jackson back. He like we're seeing now how important Lamar is to that team. Like, no shit, we get it. But they look so lost offensively. Even Mark Andrews, who I have on a couple fantasy teams, he's done because like they can't get him the damn ball. I guess the good news is that J.K. Dobbins is back and he's running the ball very well. 13 carries, 125 yards. So they have that going for them. But Tyler Huntley did not look good as a passer. The one touchdown was Donovan Peoples-Jones, and that's pretty much all the Browns needed. There was a missed field goal by Cade York, who I feel like he's had a bad year. I could be wrong about that, but I feel like every time I watch Cade York kick field goals, he misses. And I'm pretty sure he was the only kicker drafted this year. So I don't know. Hopefully he gets is uh, you know what together for Cleveland going forward but uh, if you're the Browns you're six and eight so you're trying to make some sort of run and, and just win your last three games and it's possible I mean they play the Saints they're favorites by three they're at Washington they can beat them then they're at the Steelers so hey it, it's not far-fetched for Cleveland to go nine and eight I wouldn't count on it but definitely not impossible and if you're Baltimore you're going to try and limp into the playoffs and just get yourself in there and get Lamar healthy and see what your team can do because lately the Ravens have not looked that great the Saturday night game it was a good one the Miami Dolphins at the Buffalo Bills and um, the main concern was about the weather and how would the Dolphins fare in some snowy weather but it didn't really snow until like the mid fourth quarter so a lot of that game it was just cold but it wasn't snowing until the late fourth so it did finish with a lot of snow but I would say throughout most of the game Miami's offense did a lot better than I thought they would. Raheem Mostert, the Dolphins running back, could not be stopped on the ground. 17 carries and 136 yards, 8 per carry. And of course, Tyreek Hill, he did have a drop, I think, in this game, a big drop, but he still had nine catches, 69 yards, a touchdown. Jalen Waddle, three catches, 114 yards, and a touchdown. And Tua, for playing in those conditions, I think, fared pretty well. 17 of 30, 234, two touchdowns. I mean, you'll take it if you're a Dolphins fan, but Josh Allen on the other side, he was dominant, 300 yards passing, four touchdowns. Did lose a fumble, I believe, but still, I mean, he, he put up such a great game offensively. Even running the ball, Josh Allen 10 for 77 on the ground. And when Josh Allen's rolling, that team is pretty tough to beat. I mean, the Bills' defense has shown some weaknesses in recent weeks, especially against the run. But as things stand right now, they just have to be healthy. They're pretty much one win away from clinching the AFC East. I would say, like, unless they lose every game, and I think Miami has to win every game, it seems like the Bills are going to win the AFC East. And right now, they're nine-point favorites at Chicago. So you would think after week 16 here, the Bills will have their division locked up. And if you're Miami, you got to keep winning. I mean, you play Green Bay, you play the Patriots, then you play the Jets. So 
you know, three games that are um, not easy. I mean, Green Bay is probably the easiest one there, but the Patriots and Jets, they'll give you a good fight in that division. But I would think the Dolphins probably go 2-1 and one at least to close out the season. And 10-7 and seven and a playoff appearance for rookie head coach Mike McDaniel, I think you'll sign up for that. The Falcons were at the Saints. It was Desmond Ritter's first NFL start. And he takes the loss. I mean, he wasn't that impressive. He was 13 of 26, 97 yards, only 3.7 yards per attempt, and uh, sacked four times. So definitely not a memorable debut for Desmond Ritter, but it could have been a lot worse. So they only lost by three. A weird game, kind of a boring one for the most part. The Saints, they did get out to a 14-0 lead. It looked like it was going to be a long day for Atlanta, but they fought back. A young way cool field goal, Tyler Algier, five-yard touchdown. Tyler Algier, by the way, who is a rookie, 17 carries and 139 yards and a touchdown in this game. He has looked very good recently. Then later, Dalton found Jawan Johnson for his second touchdown of the day. Cordero Patterson made it a three-point game late. And then at the end, there was a weird play where the Saints went for a quarterback sneak to pretty much ice the game. But I think it was Taysom Hill fumbled the snap and the Falcons got the ball back, but there wasn't enough time left. They got it back with nine seconds left on their own 27-yard line. They tried a quick out, gained six yards. And then Desmond Ritter on the final play just ran out of bounds. So yeah, I mean, the um, the Falcons, they take a loss here. The Saints improve to 5-9. and nine. I mean, these teams are somehow still alive in this crappy division. I mean, the Buccaneers are 6-8. and eight. They're in first place. The teams that trail them is a three-way tie. It's the Panthers, Saints, and Falcons all at 5-9, and nine, a game back of the Buccaneers. Of course, there is tiebreakers there, but I don't know them off the top of my head. But um, I guess any team in that division... No matter how crappy they are, whether it's the Saints, the Falcons, the Panthers, even the Buccaneers, they are alive to win that division, which is pretty insane. The Philadelphia Eagles, who received some bad news today, we'll go over that in a second, but they won this game 25-20. to The Bears back door, just like I thought they would. Great job, Chicago. So, yeah, Jalen Hurts is possibly out for a couple weeks here with a shoulder sprain. I'm not sure right now how bad it is, but they are playing the Cowboys this week, so it would have been great to see that matchup at full strength. But luckily for the Eagles, the Cowboys lost. Spoiler alert, but they lost. So right now, the Eagles are a plus six. You would think with that type of spread that it's going to be Gardner Minshew playing at Dallas on Sunday or maybe Saturday. I think Saturday, yeah. Saturday, 425 game. That should be very fun to watch. It would have been much better if Jalen Hurts was playing. Anyway, for this game against Chicago... Hertz did have a couple interceptions, so not really like him to do that. He only had like three coming into the uh, game for the entire year. Justin Fields did leave briefly. Nathan Peterman got one pass attempt in there, went 0 for 1. But Fields had two touchdowns, 152 passing yards, also had 95 rushing yards on 15 rushing attempts, almost had a sick rushing touchdown. He was like this close. He stepped out. Would have really helped me in fantasy football if he stayed in, but unfortunately he stepped out. But um, yeah, he he's really awesome when it comes to being a running quarterback. Of course, being a pocket passer is the next thing that Justin Fields has to figure out. But the man plays on such a bad team, and he still puts up points for them. So I think Fields is doing a pretty good job given his situation. And for Philadelphia, you just got to stay healthy. A.J. Brown had a career high, 181 receiving yards. He's He dusted Jalon Johnson a couple times. I like Jalon Johnson, but A.J. Brown's there for now. So even Devontae Smith, 126 receiving yards, that duo is definitely lethal. And if you're Philly, you're 13-1, and one. you want to get your quarterback one healthy going into the playoffs. And for Chicago, they fall to 3-11. and 11. Next, the Cowboys were at the Jaguars. The Cowboys... 
Yikes. I mean, what happened? They went up 27 to 10. This was not a Matt Ryan type, you know, blown lead, but it was still pretty bad. They were up 27-10, five minutes to go in the third quarter. And then they allow Zay Jones to have a 59-yard touchdown, make it a 10-point game. Then in the late third, next drive for them, they found Marvin Jones for a 10-yard touchdown. Then they found Zay Jones to go up on a 3-yard touchdown. But then Dak answered. They got the lead back 34-31. Riley Patterson, as time expired, made a field goal from 48 yards out. They go to overtime. But it's all right, Dallas fans. There was a false start in overtime. So the Jaguars, they had to punt. Dallas gets the ball. All they need is a damn field goal but then Dak Prescott interception Sean Jenkins his second interception of this game the man also had like 18 tackles Sean Jenkins played an unbelievable game a game-winning pick six off the hands of Noah Brown so a tough one there for Dallas they should be 11 and 3 but now they drop to 10 and 4 and if you're Jacksonville you're making a run here for this AFC South, which I thought like a month ago was pretty unlikely. I mean, look at those standings now. The Titans are 7-7. Seven and seven. I believe they've lost three straight games. And the Jaguars, who are playing much better football, are 6-8. and eight. I mean, they're a game back. I think they won their first meeting this year versus Tennessee, so they have the tiebreaker. Actually, yeah, they beat them a couple weeks ago, and they played them the last week of the year. So yeah, that division... I mean, I guess Jacksonville technically controls their own destiny. If they win out, then the division's theirs, which is crazy. And Tennessee, I mean, Tannehill got hurt. He did come back, but that team is not in a good spot right now. Next, the Lions at the Jets. A huge game for playoff implications for both teams. We know about the Lions. They have been on fire. They, coming into this game, won five of their last six games. They have now won six of their last seven, getting a 20-17 win over the New York Jets, who have now dropped three games in a row to the Vikings, the Bills, and the Lions. And I mean, it's tough for the Jets. They were in all these games. They easily could have won any of them, especially this game. And if it wasn't for bad clock management by Robert Sala, who I think, or Sala, why did I say Sala? Sala. <laughs> He's had a good year, of course, as a head coach, but... This was not a good showing in the final like few minutes here. I mean, he had three timeouts left, I believe, on their final drive. And for some reason, they just let the clock run. And they were basically out of time. They call a timeout with one second left after Zach Wilson makes this ridiculous Madden-like throw to Elijah Moore, who gets down with one, one second to go. And they set up Greg Zerline for a 58-yard field goal. It had the distance to tie it, but he missed it wide left, and that was the game. So Zach Wilson didn't have the worst game. It definitely wasn't good, but two touchdowns, one pick, um, 18 for 35, which is not that great, but at 317 yards. Um, Zach had some really rough-looking passes. He had one. The interception he had was awful. It was like a, a pass that he didn't even realize the defender was there. He put loft on it. And just gave the defender one of the easiest interceptions he'll get in his career. And then the one where he threw a, I think he got hit as he threw. So maybe like I'm kind of being a bit unfair here. But he threw like the most ridiculous pass. A jump ball to his running back basically. It was like just some of these throws he was making was crazy. But the running back Michael Carter actually caught it somehow. So I don't even know how that happens. But of course the Jets did miss Mike White in this game. And if Mike White played today or on Sunday, yesterday, um, the Jets probably win that game. It's not like Zach Wilson was abysmal, but I do think he missed a, a good amount of throws that Mike White would have made. We did see some high upside Zach Wilson plays, but a ton where it's like, oh, this guy sucks. He gave us a good array of everything. Now, the big play in this game was the fourth down and one play right at midfield. 
It looked like the Lions were going to run the ball. They were down by four at this point, needing a touchdown. And Jared Goff ran a play-action bootleg. He found a tight end named Brock Wright, who somehow scored a 51-yard touchdown. So it's bad tackling by the Jets on that play. And Brock Wright just weaved his way up the field somehow and scored a touchdown and put the Lions up by three. So if you're the Jets' defense, once again, you kept your team in the game, but... You know, the offense has not done enough. And with the Jets playing on Thursday now against the Jaguars, I don't know if that gives Mike White enough time to heal. So it might be Zach Wilson versus Trevor Lawrence, the number one pick versus the number two pick back in the 2021 draft. The Steelers were at the Panthers and Pittsburgh wins 24 to 16. There was no Kenny Pickett this game. Mitch Trubisky, 17 of 22, 179 was sacked one time, so yeah, Mitch was okay. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll take that game from Mitch any day, I think. So Sam Darnold, 14-23, 225, one touchdown. His one touchdown was a play where it looked like the play was over, but he just like, it was one of those plays where he's rolling to his right, you think he's going to throw it out of bounds. He just whipped it to DJ Moore right in his chest where he pretty much had to catch it, and he made a great catch on the sidelines for a touchdown. So that was nice. But yeah, the Steelers, they had control pretty much the entire game. Only one touchdown for the Panthers. Three field goals by Pinheiro. And I'm sure somehow Mike Tomlin will find a way to go 500 this year. He'll find a way. They're one loss away from going below 500, but he'll find a way. They're playing the Raiders, the Ravens, and the Browns to end the year. And I feel like to keep that 500 streak alive, they'll have to go 3-0. So I'm sure Mike Tomlin's team will find a way to do it somehow. But for Carolina, they close out with the Lions, the Buccaneers, and then the Saints. The Kansas City Chiefs were at the Houston Texans, a battle of 12-3 versus 1-11-1. You figured this would be a very lopsided game, but it wasn't. This actually went to overtime somehow. So the Chiefs, I mean... There were a couple turnovers. They had some fumbles in this game. Juju fumbled, Pacheco fumbled, but even Davis Mills fumbled. So I don't know. There's not really an excuse here for why the Chiefs let them in the game for so long. Of course, the Chiefs defense was pretty disappointing. Davis Mills had a couple touchdown passes, but didn't kill them through the air. And even their RB1, Damian Pierce, is out. Uh, Royce Freeman, who I forgot played in the NFL, the former Bronco, he had 11 carries for 51 yards. Nothing great. So I'm looking at this like box score puzzled as to why the hell this game was close. I guess you have to give a lot of credit here to the Houston defense. They probably did a very nice job in this game because I don't know how else this score makes sense. I will say though, Jarek McKinnon had another awesome game, like back-to-back 30-plus point fantasy games for Jarek McKinnon. So if he's like carrying you to championships right now, probably not something you expected when you had your fantasy football drafts in August, but McKinnon has been awesome. And I'm happy for McKinnon. He was a guy who once he signed with the Niners, he got hurt like three years straight. I think he tore his like twice so to see him out here healthy playing a key role for a good Chiefs team that's nice to see but yeah Houston they're hanging around I mean I don't get how they're doing it but they are keeping these games close keeping them competitive of course they covered the plus 14 but the Chiefs improved to 11 and 3 the Texans dropped to 112 and 1 so here we go this is the game the dumbest play in NFL history was brought to you in this game Patriots at the Raiders Patriots lose 24 to 30, which if you stopped watching that game at one point, you might be saying, well, how did that happen? Because the Patriots were up late in this game. The Patriots had a 24 to 17 lead after a Ramondre Stevenson touchdown with just under four minutes to go. But Derek Carr found Keelan Cole for what they said was a touchdown, but I don't know. If you saw the pictures and you saw the replay, it looks like his toe was out of bounds. 
Now that play did in fact save one of my fantasy football seasons, so I am very happy it happened. But if I'm being fair and honest, I do not think Keelan Cole got that left toe inbound, so I don't even know why that stood in the first place. So anyway, game's tied. 37 seconds to go. The Patriots, they get the ball back. They have some time, like 30 seconds to go here, and they get the ball down to the 45-yard line. You're thinking, all right, like just one Long completion, not even long, like a 20-yard completion, 25-yard completion, and they will be in field goal range. But the problem is that the the uh, Patriots had no timeouts to go. So here we go. Patriots on their own 44-yard line, a third and 10. They run a halfback draw to Ramondre Stevenson. Gets over midfield. He's getting towards field goal range, but the time has expired. So if he goes out of bounds, you're going to overtime. Worst-case scenario. Now, the unthinkable happens. Ramondre Stevenson, realizing he's about to get tackled, laterals the ball to Jacoby Myers, who I believe is a former quarterback. Myers runs backwards, and mind you, the game is tied. If you go down, you go to overtime. If you run out of bounds, you go to overtime. That's the worst-case scenario, right? But no, Jacoby Myers throws the ball back, so he throws a 13-yard lateral, but he throws it to the wrong team. Well, I guess this guy was a Patriot at one point, but Chandler Jones catches the ball. He stiff arms Mac Jones in the ground, and somehow Mac Jones doesn't even hang on to his leg or something. He gets stiff armed in the ground, and somehow a play that started with the Patriots going over midfield in a tie game where all they had to do was just go down and go to overtime ends with Chandler Jones returning the ball about 50 yards for a game-winning fumble recovery return for a touchdown. This is a play that you would not even see in NFL Street. That is how unrealistic this play is. And I don't even know how this happened or what was going through the mind of Jacoby Myers. I could see, I can't even see this, but I would understand more if the guy you're throwing it to was like uh, Tyquan Thornton or someone very athletic. The guy he was trying to throw the lateral back to 14 yards was Mac Jones. What the hell was Mac Jones going to do? I mean, listen, if I was a Patriots fan, I would be so fed up with that team. I mean, they were 7-6. and six. They had a chance to be 8-6, and six, get themselves in the wild card possibly, but those dreams might be crushed with this loss. And like Mac Jones, what are you doing? Like stiff-armed right in the ground by Chandler Jones. It's just sad. I, everybody who watched that game could not believe what they have seen. There were probably jaws on the floor all over, you know, the United States and everywhere else that watched this game. Just the most improbable victory you'll ever see for a team. So if you have not watched this play, go watch it. It's one of those things that I never thought I would see. It's something that would not even happen in a video game. And it's something that probably has never happened I would say in football history, like I don't even, you can probably go through every like, you know, elementary level, middle school, high school, college game, NFL, XFL, you'll probably never see something like this. And the fact that it happened to a Bill Belichick coach team in a big situation in the season when they're seven and six and need to win these games was just something you would never expect to see. But the Raiders, they win on this walk-off fumble return by Chandler Jones, just the most improbable thing you may ever see in an NFL game. The Cardinals, they lost the Broncos 24 to 15. I don't really want to talk about this game too much. Both teams are four and 10. They stink. They're out of it. You know, Brett Rippon passing touchdown to Eric Tomlinson, just what I want to see. But yeah, so I mean, the future of these teams is more important. 
For the Cardinals, their GM, Steve Keim, kind of took a, a bit of an absence here with a health issue, so I think hopefully he's all right. I mean, I don't know what exactly it is, but he's taking a bit of a leave, and I do know that him and Cliff Kingsbury are signed through 2027, and people are saying, well, Cliff Kingsbury might get fired here, but... If you just signed this guy to a big extension, why would a Cliff Kingsbury get fired already? Like this was on March 2nd, 2022. So earlier this year, they signed the GM and head coach to five-year extensions. And now not even a full season into it, you have people questioning their jobs. So I don't know what's going to happen. I know the NFL just came out and had a thing about all the money being wasted on coaches that are not employed anymore. I think it's like $800 million are being given to coaches that are not currently employed by those teams. So that's pretty crazy. And even for Denver, I mean, I know they won this game, but their coach, Nathaniel Hackett, seems like a pretty... I don't want to say a sure thing, but he's definitely on the hot seat. Like if I'm Denver, I would move on because your number one priority has to be to get Russell Wilson right for next year. If Russell Wilson is not Russell Wilson, that team ain't going anywhere. So they have to make sure Russell Wilson gets right, get him back to what he was doing in Seattle, because if he's not the same Russell Wilson he was when you traded for him, that's going to be a massive problem the next few years. Titans at the Chargers. Both teams playing a pretty important game here, but the Chargers come away with the victory 17-14. to It was kind of a weird game because Tannehill got hurt very early, but he came back in. Malik Willis came in and actually went 3-4 of four for 20 yards, but Tannehill, he was sacked four times, didn't have a good statistical game, but Derrick Henry, as expected, had a pretty good game. 21 carries, 104 yards. I expected more from him, but still not a bad game, of course. And Henry actually led the Titans in receiving. He had some big catch in the second quarter down the sideline, but you don't see that every day. But for the Chargers, I mean, it, it just comes, this, this game came down to how special Justin Herbert is. He made this insane throw rolling to his right that not many quarterbacks are even going to try and make this throw, but he throws a laser down the right sideline to Mike Williams for 35 yards and got them down to the Tennessee 20-yard line, which of course is a well in field goal range. And Mike Williams, of course, is a great contested catch type receiver, but the way Herbert was able to just throw that ball accurately and put his, uh, put his receiver in a position to make that play... It's just awesome. So Herbert is super fun to watch. I hope for the NFL's sake he makes the playoffs because I'd rather watch him than watch some team like even Tennessee, who probably will make it unless the Jaguars come through because someone in that, in that division has to make the playoffs. But you get my point. Justin Herbert is good for the NFL. And if you're the Titans now, you are on a four-game losing streak. Wow. So they were 7-3 at one point. They had that loss to the Bengals by four. They lost to Philly by a lot. They lost to Jacksonville by a lot. Then they just lost to, uh, by the... Uh, then they just lost to the Chargers by three. Now, they do play the Texans next week. And Derrick Henry, the past five, six times he's played Houston, he's had like 300 rushing yards in each of those games. That's not accurate, but like it's it's ridiculous. His stats are very Madden-like against them. So Derrick Henry shouldn't go off in that game, but I don't know. I mean, they play Houston, which they kind of have to win now. Then they play Dallas, which won't be easy. Then they end their season at Jacksonville, which as I mentioned before... That could be the AFC South 
division on the line in that one particular game. So that'd be pretty cool. But Tennessee has to get some wins here going forward. And for the Chargers, they're in a good spot now. They play the Colts, the Rams, and the Broncos to end the season. There's a good chance they win at least two of those games, and they could go 3-0. So if you're the uh, Chargers, you just have to stay focused, win the games you're supposed to win, and you'll probably make the playoffs. The Bengals were at the Buccaneers, and like, my God, what happened to Tampa? I mean, they, they had this game. They were up at one point 17 to nothing after Chris Godwin scored a touchdown right before half. Now the Bengals got a field goal, made it 17-3 going into the locker room. So if you're the Buccaneers, you're in a great spot. But the Buccaneers' offense in the second half did not even show up. They may as well have stayed in the locker room. Just completely imploded on the field. The average starting field position in the second half for the Bengals was at the Tampa Bay 37-yard line. That's how bad it was. I mean, there was a play in this one where, I don't know if it was a miscommunication or what, but there was a fake punt, maybe, question mark, and it bounced off Giovanni Bernard's shoulder. I believe it was recovered by the Bengals, and like there was just so many drop passes. Tom Brady had two interceptions, just like the worst second half possible for the Buccaneers. And of course, Joe Burrow, who I was facing in fantasy, he had like three fantasy points at halftime. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And then of course, Joe Burrow went off in the second half, finished with four touchdowns, 200 yards. He played very, very good football in the second half. Logan Wilson had a a sack, 15 tackles, nine solo tackles. So great game by the uh, Bengals linebacker. But yeah, Cincinnati, as I keep saying, they are legit. They'll be one of those teams that's in the you know, AFC race to make it to the Super Bowl. They seem like they are peaking at the right time. They have now won one, two, three, four, five, six games in a row, and that would be eight of their past nine. So after starting out 0-2, the Bengals have been on fire. They finish out with the Patriots, the Bills, and the Ravens. I would say they should go at least 2-1 and one in that stretch. And Tampa, who is technically in first place still in that division, they are at Arizona next week on Sunday Night Football, which... I would hope they flex that out. Like, I don't want to watch that, honestly. But um, they are five-and-a-half-point favorites for that matchup, so you would think that they could win that. Then they finish out with two division matchups, the Panthers and the Falcons. So... Just like I said, they should go at least 2-1 and one there, but you cannot trust the Buccaneers right now. They look pretty bad. And Sunday Night Football, the Giants were on the road at the Commanders. Commanders coming off a bye. Both teams coming in with an identical record. They tied a couple weeks ago, as we know, so this game meant a lot for playoff implications. The Giants, who win this one 20-12, now have a 90% chance to make the playoffs. So, assuming that all goes right, the Giants should be in the playoffs for the first time since 2016. And this game was the coming out party for the fifth overall pick, Kayvon Thibodeau, who was completely wrecking this game for the Washington Commanders. He had a sack fumble, recovered his own fumble, and got in the end zone all in the same play. So he got the uh, first touchdown of the game. The Giants offense in the second quarter had an unbelievable like 98 yards, 16, 17, 18 play drive, whatever it was. Daniel Jones was great on that drive. Saquon rushed it in. The Giants went up 14-13. Of course, you know, the Washington Commanders made a comeback. They were running the ball very well, but the Giants were able to hold them off at the very end, and uh, this is when things got interesting. So if you did not see the final play, um, the Commanders at one point looked like they tied the game, but there was an illegal formation. I don't think one of their receivers was on the line or uh, at the line of scrimmage. I think you have to have like seven guys on the line of scrimmage. They were saying that Terry McLaurin was not on the line of scrimmage. So 
I don't know. But then a couple plays later, there was the final play, fourth down play, got to have it, and Taylor Heineke throws it up for grabs, gives it to his receiver, Curtis Samuel. He was very much pass interfered with, allegedly, right? I don't want to admit anything, but he was allegedly pass interfered with. Refs called nothing. Ball fell incomplete. The Giants win. So in my opinion, you know, following the Giants closely, this is their biggest win in probably at least six years. I mean, this was a huge win for the Giants. And if they do make the postseason or the playoffs, I don't even know. Do they call it postseason? I know it's like a baseball term. But if they make the playoffs, this game will be, you know, why it happened. Because if they lost this game, the Giants would be in a very bad spot, especially with the way the Lions have been playing lately and, and them being very hot. So for Washington, not good. They have to pretty much win at least two of their next three, maybe all three, to make the playoffs. They finished the year at San Francisco. That's tough. Home versus Cleveland and home versus the Dallas Cowboys. For the Giants, who, once again, they have to win like one more game, so hopefully they can get this done. They're at Minnesota, home versus the Colts, at the Eagles, who might be without... Jalen Hurts and maybe the rest of their team because they might be resting by that point. Really fun game as a Giants fan. It was awesome to see that divisional matchup, primetime football. So that was great. Um, tonight, we have the Rams at the Packers. Right now, Green Bay is a minus seven and a half. I don't know what to think about this game. Like Part of me thinks that the Packers should win by a lot. I think they were off last week too. I think they're coming off a bye. So very much extended rest here for Green Bay. But um, I am intrigued by how Baker looks in his second game with the Rams. I mean, of course, last time he had like less than two days to prepare for that game. But now he's with them for about two weeks and we'll see what happens tonight. But the over-under is only 41. Well, actually now it's 39 and a half. But yeah, so we'll see what happens. But I would assume the Packers win this one by a good amount. I would say by seven or 10 points. But anyway, um, before we go, I want to talk about the MVP race because if Jalen Hurts is done for the year, I would be surprised if he gets the MVP. This might be the second time an Eagles quarterback in the last five, six years gets robbed of an MVP award because he gets injured. So, of course, that happened to Carson Wentz back in 2017, I believe that was, when he tore his ACL towards the end of that season when he was on the um, you know on pace to be the MVP. And now Jalen Hurts, it was between him and Patrick Mahomes most likely, even Joe Burrow's in the conversation now. I saw before that Patrick Mahomes is definitely the favorite to be MVP. I called that before the year, by the way. I know nobody else thought Mahomes could win the MVP. I called it. I discovered Patrick Mahomes. Remember that. But <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Um, but the um, the Bengals, the way they've been playing, Joe Burrow, it's possible. So Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, we'll see who wins it. I guess there is still a chance Hurts wins it. But if you miss the last three games, I mean, it's going to be tough. So especially if those guys play every game. But we'll find out. My pick is still going to be Mahomes, but we'll see how that goes. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed this video. Next week, we'll probably do more of a, you know, look at the playoff picture and, and spend more time on that rather than talk about some of these teams that are out of it. So hope you guys enjoyed and I'll talk to you guys next time.